this stuff. Hello, and welcome, or I guess welcome back, to Play This, uh, the podcast where two old friends decided there weren't enough video game podcasts in the world and that they needed one too. I'm Max. And I'm Daniel. And uh, this is the week after Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, happy Thanksgiving last week. Happy thanks late giving. <laughs> thanks late giving. It's going to be like, you know, you have Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, Cyber Monday, Giving Tuesday, and then the rest of the year mm-hmm. is just thanks late giving. Yes. Uh, is is Giving Tuesday a thing or did yeah. you make that up? No, Giving Tuesday is a thing. It's where you have an online campaign for a charity that you support and you petition your friends through social media to give to that charity. Oh. And it's called Giving Tuesday. That's actually really cool. That's <laughs> Welcome that's, to that's our philanthropy podcast <laughs> where you can learn all of the trip, the tips and tricks Oof. or if you want to make a portmanteau, the trips, as I almost just said. Anyway, this is a video game podcast <laughs> Welcome where back, we don't everybody. talk about turkey <laughs> and how to spend your money on good things like charities <laughs> good good to be back yeah. daniel uh what are you thankful for in the world of video games um man you know i i was kind of glad that a lot of time passed uh between thanksgiving and us recording this because i don't have an answer to that question <laughs> So I was kind of like crossing my fingers that we just wouldn't cover the subject. <laughs> well, let's move on. Um, wait, do you have an answer oh, though? I do. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm thankful for you and that we have this podcast. Yeah. And I'm also thankful for uh, you know, the way that the Nintendo Switch has kind of affected my gaming life and made that a lot easier. And I think that is a great addition to the gaming world. So, you know. Thank you, Nintendo, for sponsoring us, for sending all that sweet <laughs> swag. Uh, but no, seriously, I think it's been a great addition um, to my life. So, yeah. It is really refreshing to hear you be positive about a Nintendo <laughs> product. Uh, because, like, for the last, like, 15 years of our lives, that has not been the case. No, that's true. Hey, you know, when you see something good in the world, flatter it <laughs> i don't know i don't know what i'm saying let's go let's move on to the news that's enough of that yeah sure so i think the first news item we wanted to talk about was ea removing microtransactions from battlefront 2 yes uh briefly yeah, is is how i, I think we did enough ea talk <laughs> last time the, the when i said that this was an ea shit podcast <laughs> that was a joke i didn't mean that seriously yeah i I think there's just two things that I want to, like, mainly say about it. And I guess first, like, a Cliff's notes of what happened, right? Everyone got really mad about how expensive Battlefront 2 microtransactions were. Uh, so mad that the head of Disney called EA... Uh, well, not the head of Disney, but, like, you know... A higher up at Disney called EA. It wasn't Walt Disney himself. No. <laughs> Cryogenically frozen Walt Disney got on the phone. A higher up at Disney personally called EA and told them to stop. They temporarily pulled microtransactions uh, from Battlefront 2, which uh, I guess I have three things to say. One, it's like crazy that like Disney like <laughs> had to get involved personally. Well, Disney's got to protect their product. I mean, yeah. You've got a movie coming out in mere weeks. 
Yeah. And they want as little of this news to be attached to that movie. Oh no, like, I see exactly where Disney is coming from. It's crazy that it got to that point, that Disney had to step in, you know? Yeah. So, I guess, like, the two main things I want to, like, say, uh, first, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I, uh, this, this feels good, right? This yeah. is nice. EA was caught trying to exploit their consumers, basically, and they get, they don't get to do it. They're not right. allowed to do it. That's, that's really good. I'm going to push back on what, on this kind of triumphant feeling that we're having about EA, because right. I think the reality of the situation and first of all, let, let's also say that microtransactions in general don't have to be bad. If yeah. they're cosmetic in nature, yes. like the way Overwatch handles microtransactions, I'm totally okay with. Agreed. I wish that the seasonal microtransactions in Overwatch weren't only limited to that season, like when they do events, yeah. but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. The way that EA handles microtransactions and kind of making a game that you already paid at least $60 mm-hmm. pay to win, yeah. or pay to even play the fun characters, is bullshit. Mm-hmm. But... I also want to, like I said, push back on this triumphant feeling because earlier this year, EA reported to investors that they made $800 million in microtransactions in their ultimate team uh, game modes in their sports games. Yeah. Uh, Madden and FIFA Mm -hmm. primarily, I'm sure. This is not going away. Oh, no, no. This is not a victory in totality. You're right. It's not going away, but it's a step towards moderation, I think, which is a good sign. Uh, One thing that's actually worth mentioning well actually in response to a lot of the loot box stuff that's been happening lately belgium has basically declared that loot boxes are gambling gambling. and that's becoming more and more common in countries yes yeah hawaii also yeah hawaii is not a country (laughs) but they also like basically released a statement that was like hey uh video game companies regulate your loot boxes or we're going to legally so things might be a changing yeah it's definitely something to keep an eye on and this is a, a bellwether, but also could be a moment of great change. I just yeah. think, I don't want to get ahead of myself in celebrating it too, too vociferously because, you know, $800 million is going to lead the conversation for EA internally oh, yeah. for a long time. Absolutely. I do agree with that. Enough about that. What's next? Let's move on to a much more uplifting news yes. story, which is uh, Valkyria Chronicles 4 uh, was announced. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say Valkyria Chronicles 1 is both of our is in both of our top ten lists probably for games I'd have to assume um, yeah like probably top twenty for top me top twenty yeah but yes it's it's really up there it's a very high quality game that the two of us actually played through together yeah uh, when it came out we almost beat it there's <laughs> a really really hard like yeah. boss near the very end like we were seriously like at the penultimate boss yeah and yeah. it was impossible yeah. But that game was still so good, and then in America, it kind of disappeared. Like, we got Valkyria Chronicles 2 for the PSP, which is still not a decision that I necessarily agree with. Right. We did not get Valkyria Chronicles 3, and then the series just kind of died worldwide for a while. Then, like, they started releasing ports of Valkyria Chronicles 1. And remasters. Yeah, remasters that sold well enough for them to make Valkyria Revolution earlier this year. Which neither of us have played, right? No, I haven't played it. But I've not heard very good things about, because it changes up the formula. Like, it's basically not what anyone who liked Valkyria Chronicles wanted, is what I'm hearing. But now, uh, they've announced Valkyria Chronicles 4 with, like, a really long trailer that makes it look almost done. Actually, it is almost done. They 
announced afterwards that the game's like 90% complete. It's releasing in Japan March 2018 for the PS4 and then for the Switch in summer 2018. In the United States, we are getting PS4, Xbox One, and Switch versions sometime in 2018, and they haven't said when, but they have said that they're currently recording the dub. So it's it's pretty far along. It's exciting news. Yeah, so I am excited about it. I think it's an, a great franchise and underrated franchise, at least here in the States. Mm-hmm. And I hope that, you know, this could help it catch on and we have a just a lifetime of Valkyria-like games because it's such a beautiful world, um, great combat system, great story, and, you know, it's just full of potential. <laughs> Do we have to do we have to explain no. that joke? No. I, <laughs> you can't just say an inside joke on our podcast and not explain it. Oh man. Um That's what the deep cuts for. <laughs> that's what the unreleased sessions that come out, you know, five years from now. That's what uh, that's for. In Valkyria Chronicles one. Oh, <laughs> in Valkyria Chronicles one, there's a game mechanic called Battle Potential that we call the Bow Tentials while we played. Really good inside joke, and I'm really glad I got into this podcast. Thank you, Max. You're welcome. Uh, Moving on in the news, unless you have anything else to say about Valkyria Chronicles 4. No, I guess not. It's it's really dope. They mentioned that the story takes place at the same time as Valkyria Chronicles 1, but in a different part of the world, and I think that's cool. I'm really glad it's coming to Switch. Yeah, it's an interesting decision. Yeah. I, I think gets to what we were saying about last podcast, which is how the Switch is just kind of blown everybody away and you have to make these decisions now yes it's like not even optional anymore yeah um and i think that's i don't know the last time that happened for nintendo yeah the console i'm okay with it yeah. i'm really okay with <laughs> yeah, it yeah me too i guess last thing i also hope that this will mean that we get pc and console ports of valkyria chronicles 2 and especially 3 because 3 was apparently like a really good valkyria chronicles game that we never got in the states so if this means that we get to catch up that'd be cool well, more news to come on Valkyria Chronicles 4, I'm sure, and it's landing in the States, and we will both be keeping an anxious eye on that. Yes. So, I... Th- <laughs> uh, go ahead. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're the announcement guy. Yeah, I'm cool. just the... <clears throat> in a world. <laughs> uh, so, earlier last week, I think it was now... Yeah. Maybe it was early this week, I don't remember. Anyway, uh, Shinji Hashimoto, who's the Final Fantasy brand manager um, at Squaresoft... Squaresoft at Square Enix. <laughs> uh, he said that there are big new Final Fantasy titles to come in 2018, which I think was a little bit of an interesting announcement because 2017 was the 30th anniversary of Final Fantasy. Yeah. 2018's the 31st anniversary. No one really thinks that the 31st anniversary is going to have the big releases. Right. But according to uh, Shinji Hashimoto, that's what we're in store for. Uh, yeah. I think this has a lot of possibilities. Some of which are kind of exciting, some are which are kind of whatever. So, first of all, there's, like, stuff we already know about, right? Like, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yeah. I feel like 2018 could be the year where we'll get, like, the first installment of that. Right. Because they said they're releasing that in parts. So I think, like, Final Fantasy VII Remake Part One that could be a 2018 release. Right. I actually wasn't expecting that for a while because we're getting Kingdom Hearts 3 next year. I thought that'd be Square's big flagship RPG and they'd save Final Fantasy for like another year. They could just be counting Final Fantasy 15 expansions as part of their they big could. Final Fantasy yeah. releases. You know? I'm going to latch on to the word new. 
Okay. And I'm going to be optimistic because life is short and it's meant to live. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping, and this might be completely invalid, mm-hmm. but I don't care. My, my biggest hope, and maybe that's the less cynical, more interesting way to talk about this. What mm-hmm. is our biggest hope? Mm-hmm. My biggest hope is a new Final Fantasy Tactics game on the Nintendo Switch. Oh man, that would be amazing. That's my biggest hope. It's not entirely not possible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ya- Yatsuni Matsuno, the guy that made the Final Fantasy Tactics game, he made Tactics Ogres. Tactics Ogres, plural. He made <laughs> multiple Tactics Ogre games. Yatsuni Matsuno was very recently working with Square on a Final Fantasy fourteen uh, expansion that basically puts the world of Ivalice hmm. into Final Fantasy fourteen, which is cool. Yeah. So Square's working, they have a rekindled business relationship with Yatsumi Matsuno, the creator of Final Fantasy Tactics. I think it's in the realm of possibility that they're That's like, hey, yeah. why why don't you just work on a Switch game while you're here, buddy? If if I had a Final Fantasy Tactics game on Switch, I mean that would be Yeah, I don't know. That would <laughs> that would be pretty ideal for me. Yeah. I think a Final Fantasy related announcement for the Switch is guaranteed next year. Yeah. I think it's inevitable. It could be a downsized Final Fantasy XV port for the Switch. That's probably the most pessimistic prediction. But again, I'm going to really latch on to that yeah. one new. Yeah. It's in there. It could also be like a sm- just like a smaller scale, like a Final Fantasy spinoff for the Switch. Daniel, you're really harsh in my vibe. I'm sorry. I need I'm... to know what your <laughs> biggest hope is. Okay, my, my hope, my Final Fantasy hope for the Switch... No, it doesn't have to be for the Switch, just for... Oh, well, it would be for the Switch. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it would definitely be for the Switch. I want to play Final Fantasy games on my Switch. I would actually kind of love just a full remake of Six. actually. That would be something that I could see them reasonably getting out in 2018, mm-hmm. assuming they started to work on it, like, this year. Final Fantasy Six is so good, none of the re-releases for it, like, have been good. <laughs> you know, they've been Final Fantasy Six. Yeah. But, you know, like, the mobile ports have, like, the ruined sprites, and that's also what's on PC right now. I would love them to just remake 6, and for that to be good. I'd like that. And they they were doing this thing where they were remaking old Final Fantasy games for a while, and they kind of they kind of stopped. Just like your sentence. Just like... <laughs> Well, I'm curious to know what other people's biggest hopes are in relation to uh, this news item. Me too. You know, maybe it's getting hopes up unnecessarily, but, you know, I think, okay, I'm not going to go on. I'm not going to get on a soapbox, but I think Mm -hmm. so much of the time we spend as gamers looking at game news and being really pessimistic, Mm. really cynical. And there's a place for that. And I think that's there for a reason. It's because that's what we've come to expect. Game companies promise the moon. And then, you know, deliver, uh, you know, not the moon. Uh, <laughs> but I'm curious if you have any out there, if you have any, you know, hopes or dreams or opinions of what this could look like, tweet us, send us an email, let us know, because I'm curious what other people are thinking about this. Same. All right. Why don't you do the next one? Because this is kind of, this is your area. Sure. So, yeah, this was kind of a slow news week, but I'm excited about the future. Next week, or really the end of this week, by the time you guys are hearing this, the Game Awards and PSX are happening on the same weekend. Game Awards happens the night of December 7th, which is Thursday, and PSX 
happens that whole weekend, but they're going to have a presentation on Saturday, December 9th. Both, especially the Game Awards, have promised like a lot of a lot of reveals and premieres. I watch the Game Awards every year, partially <laughs> for those, but also because it's usually just the right amount of train wreck. Yeah, so uh, it's and you have like an unironic love for Jeff Keighley, I think. It's it's like it's like seventy percent unironic. <laughs> yeah, I I like Jeff Keighley. Uh, I love him. I don't say I'm in love with him. Oh, that's good. Yeah. It might not be reciprocal. <laughs> no, Jeff Keighley's all right. <laughs> that sentence really took a step down each time you talk about him. <laughs> you love he's... him, you like him, he's all right. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Keighley's great. Oh, Jeff Keighley's okay. Oh, he's awful. Boo! That's a good Waldorf and Statler uh, <laughs> quote that I just shoved into our, our incredibly good podcast episode. I love Statler Waldorf, actually. I know, I more know. than I love Jeff Keighley. I thought you were looking at me, so I was going to say more than I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Impossible. So. <laughs> well, when you laugh like that afterwards, it really diminishes your message. I, I was... <laughs> no, the feeling's genuine. I, I just saw, like, your facial expression out the corner of my <laughs> eye when I said that, and I cracked up. So, the Game Awards happening December 7th. Uh... There's going to be a lot of game announcements, and I have some guesses on what they're going to announce. First off, WB Games has had a presence at pretty much every Game Awards prior. Uh, they actually like announced one of the Arkham games at a Game Awards. They generally at least show off uh, Mortal Kombat DLC or whatever. They at least have a small presence at most of these Game Awards. There's a couple of big announcements I think they could make. Especially since uh, stuff like Injustice, we kind of already know what's coming. We've already seen gameplay of their next DLC character for Injustice 2, which is the Atom, and he actually looks really awesome. We have not heard in a long time any direct confirmation of what Rock City Games is up to. Uh, Rock City Games is the development studio that makes the Arkham series. They have been quiet since Arkham Knight came out in 2015. And there's been a lot of rumors, like maybe they're working on a Superman game, maybe they're working on a Ninja Turtles game. Whatever Rocksteady's game is, this could be a good place to announce it, to get like a CG trailer for it. And alternately, like we talked about last time, Portkey Games uh, just got started up. They're making Harry Potter games, we know about their mobile game, but they're also working on console games. If we saw a trailer for their first like big AAA Harry Potter game... The Game Awards might be a cool place to show it. Totally. Uh, what do you think about WB Games? Like, I, I have a lot of predictions to make, so I feel like I should just be rattling well, these all I, mean, I think, like I said, and I think this is a good thing to point out, you know, for the future of the podcast, so people understand kind of our backgrounds. Mm -hmm. I think this is really more your realm of expertise. And right. I'm happy, and I'm more interested to hear what you think is going to happen because I, you know, I'll be honest, I have no idea what what could be in the in the offing here. So I think Nintendo, right? Nintendo has been at the Game Awards for the past few years in a row now. This was actually the first place that we saw Breath of the Wild footage. Yeah. Uh, Game Awards like 2014. Yeah. Of Breath of the Wild. And ever since then, Nintendo's been showing stuff there, like Super Mario Maker trailers and stuff. So they will be here this year again. They're actually, like, holding a contest 
where Nintendo is giving five Game Awards tickets to five like winners that retweet them or whatever. So they will definitely be present. First, the most obvious thing they could announce, we're getting some Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild DLC by the end of the year, and we haven't really seen it yet. Uh, we don't know when it's coming out, rather. I think one thing that would be very easy for them to do at the Game Awards is to show a trailer of their new DLC pack and be like, you can download it after the show. Do one of those. Or, you know, you can download it next week. I think they're going to give us a release date announcement for the Champion's Ballad, which <laughs> is what that DLC is called. But talking about Dreams, I also think that because we know so little of their 2018 slate, they are going to announce something at the Game Awards that we don't know for sure exists yet. Pokemon on Switch. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh... My guess would be Smash Bros. Switch. Mm. I could see them being like, hey, releasing Smash Bros. for the Switch. It's basically the Wii U version, but we've added, like, between four and eight new characters and, you know, a handful of new features, and it's coming to the Switch in, like, February. I could see them doing that and announcing that at the Game Awards. That would be kind of huge, actually. Maybe too huge, so I'm not like I'm not convinced that's going to happen there. Well, that's an interesting thing. Like, and if I'm Nintendo, and again with how well the Switch is done, I'm bringing the gospel of the Switch everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like every possible opportunity, I am singing that song. I am pushing that message. So you're right; it is probably too big. But if there was a time to go that big, and not that they need to, obviously yeah. the message is spread. But if there's a time to maximize on that. Uh, on that messaging yeah now would be that time yeah i agree and i keep expecting nintendo to announce smash bros yeah it hasn't happened yet so i feel like if it doesn't happen here it's because they are starting a new one from scratch and we're not going to see it till like 2019 or 2020 uh so i hope that we get like an enhanced version of smash 4 with some new characters announced here or in january or something so that's nintendo you got any other predictions yeah hideo kojima is gonna show up yeah uh, <laughs> jeff Keeley loves hideo kojima yeah. more than i love jeff Keeley. <laughs> and <laughs> this is a tangled web you're weaving <laughs> how much do you love hideo kojima <laughs> i need to i need to triangulate this. i i enjoy hideo that kojima he's you know uh, Metal Gear Solid is a series that correct. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a series. I like it, but I haven't played all of them. Anyway, uh, he's gonna be there. I don't think they've outright said that, but they've hinted at it. I think the past two game of, no sorry, just Game Awards last year, Hideo Kojima debuted a new Death Stranding trailer. Uh, before that, Hideo Kojima was supposed to show up, but Konami wouldn't let him. Yeah. A few weeks ago, Guillermo del Toro was at a panel. He's actually very close friends with Hideo Kojima. It's adorable. Right. Yeah. Someone asked, like, hey, how much do you know about Hideo Kojima's game? And he basically said, almost nothing. He's <laughs> completely in charge of that. But he did tell me that he was going to show me a gameplay. He's going to show me gameplay of his game within, like, a couple weeks. So, so you think that there's something ready that we'll see at the Game Awards? Yeah, I feel like... 
the Game Awards is going to show a debut gameplay trailer of Death Stranding. Which, and so far, as far as we know, might not even be a video game. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad point. No, I think we're going to see gameplay of Death Stranding, and that his buddy Guillermo got to see it a week early. I think that's what's happening. Good perk. Yeah. Good Good for Toro. <laughs> oh, and what's good for the Toro? <laughs> All right, let's keep the predictions rolling into uh, PSX. Yes. So I have much fewer predictions for PSX, because there have been a lot of rumors and rumbling that PSX is going to be much smaller scale than it's been in previous years. They moved up some of their PSX announcements to Paris Games Week. Yeah, that was a much heavier week than people were anticipating. Yes, and uh, rumor has it that they're pushing more of their PSX announcements over to E3 next year, which means that we're getting f- little, little to well, I wouldn't say no. I feel well, like obviously we're getting a, say something. Yeah, they are still doing like an hour long stream, so they're they're obviously showing us something. But it will be a much smaller deal than it's been in past years. So I could see some smaller stuff happening, like them showing us like the next wave of like Street Fighter V DLC, maybe some new indie game announcements, like they did Spelunky 2 and Guacamelee 2 mm-hmm. at PS uh, at Paris Games Week. I think we can expect some new announcements on that scale. I wouldn't expect something like a big, brand new AAA Sony game announcement, especially since they're still... They still have yet to bring out, like, half of the big AAA games that they've announced yeah. from, like, multiple years ago. I think we'll get some release dates. I think we'll get maybe a release date for God of War. I'm crossing my fingers for a Detroit Become Human release date. I was going to say, do you think we're, gonna, we're going to get another scene from Detroit? They've I don't released know. a lot of scenes from <laughs> yeah, that game. They have. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that. Maybe. I'd, I'd I put that as a maybe. I would not. <laughs> like that should still be fresh enough of people's memories that they don't need another thing at this point to you know build interest but yeah they've released a lot of a lot of that game yeah i think smaller scale announcements uh there is like a pretty popular rumor that we're gonna get like a soul caliber 6 announcement mm-hmm. there we may or may not there's a lot of conflicting reports about whether or not we're gonna hear about a new devil may cry game some people are saying that it's going to be a psx announcement other people are saying that it's been moved to e3 right i'm really interested to see how psx pans out because it's going to be different i can't make the confident claims that i'm making about game awards <laughs> which has shown like consistent yeah things historically happening oh no i forgot about a game awards prediction oh what's that telltale's there every year oh boy yeah um <laughs> and that's why i forgot because <laughs> that's the least exciting announcement they could make but like we got a uh, like two years ago, they announced Batman Telltale. Right. That was a huge deal. That was a huger deal than the game ended up being. <laughs> <laughs> and then last year they announced Guardians of the Galaxy Telltale. So you can see Telltale being there with something, maybe with a gameplay trailer for Wolf Among Us Two. I think that mm. would be probably the- still the best Telltale game. Well, Walking the first Walking Dead is pretty good. I haven't played the first Walking Dead. So I'll take your word for it. Wolf Among Us is probably my favorite Telltale game. It's probably mine too. Yeah, Wolf Among Us 2 trailer would probably be the most pumped that Telltale could get me at the Game Awards. Well, when we next do this podcast, I'm going to have printed out all your predictions. I'm going to keep score and see how well you did. 
you're kidding, but you should do that. <laughs> like, I'd be down for that. I want to, like, yeah, when we do the next episode, I want to revisit my predictions and we can see how completely off base I was. And if you have any predictions out there, let us know what they are. Again, you can tweet us or uh, email. We are Play This Podcast on Twitter and playthiscast at gmail.com. Yeah. So let us know. Yes, I would love to hear what you think, baby. <laughs> so what's next? <laughs> uh, that covers the news for the couple weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we're very excited to finally have our first recommended conversation. Uh, last week, I recommended... Uh, Pyre to you, not last week, last right. week. But first, are we playing anything else this week? I was going to get to that. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm you so ask sorry. Because you were playing Pyre, so why don't you ask yeah. me? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I've been playing other games. How dare you? <laughs> uh, it's, it's been like three weeks. So, what else are you playing right now? <laughs> well, I did play uh, Pyre some right. because I wanted to be ready for the conversation, obviously. Yes. And awesome. I actually hadn't beaten it before I recommended it to you because like I just knew it was worth recommending right. before that point anyway, so I did beat it. Good, good. And other than that, I kinda I played a little bit of um Animal Crossing uh Pocket. Nice. No. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I said nice because that's what I haven't been playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's not a good game. <laughs> I mean, like, for, uh, let me be fair to it. Okay. Mobile games suck. <laughs> especially, <laughs> especially free-to-play mobile games. Mo- there are some good mobile games out there, obviously. I, I don't need to, you know, be reductive in that way. But most mobile games suck, especially free-to-play mobile games. This one doesn't happen to be any different just mm. because it's Animal Crossing and there were, I, you know, I, I had higher hopes for it going in. But. Yeah, that's fair. Like, it's fine. There's nothing, there is, unless you just want to collect things, there's nothing drawing you back into that game. I mean, to be fair to Animal Crossing, that's one of the main things that's supposed to draw you into regular (laughs) Animal Crossing. But in in regular Animal Crossing, and I'm not comparing a fully released regular game to a mobile game, but in regular Animal Crossing, there are things to do, multiple different things to collect. Yeah, people to talk to when you're mm-hmm. not collecting, mm-hmm. and I guess I'll let Chrissy Teigen sum it up best because I identified a lot with what she tweeted about Animal Crossing. I believe it was on Twitter she said it. Whereas like these people suck. I don't want them as my friends. <laughs> <laughs> like who, who before they come over to your house demands that you get a specific kind of couch? <laughs> I don't want that person as my friend. <laughs> or I guess in this case as like my client. <laughs> Yeah, that is, like, the one major difference from regular Animal Crossing. The villagers, in Animal Crossing, the regular game, right, villagers will visit you at your home and hang out. In Pocket Camp, they tell you what they want to be in your house before they yeah, visit you. Like, That's different, and it it makes the whole game fall apart. It does. It's, yeah, I don't have any more to say about it. <laughs> if you want to know more, read what Chrissy Teigen wrote, because she said it better than I can. I will say that it does hit some things that I like about Animal Crossing. The animals, you know, the dialogue has fun personality to it. The customization options that are there are nice. But ultimately, like, it's not Animal Crossing enough. Like, I played it for three days and then I just went, I miss 
real Animal Crossing <laughs> and just want them to well, announce a new one. And for if the that Switch. was the point of the game, mission accomplished. Right. Yeah. If the point of the game was to make a fun experience. <laughs> George Bush mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So other than Pyre and three days of Animal Crossing, what have you been playing? I've been playing first a handful of games uh, that I think I'll recommend to you down the line. Ooh. Um, and I'll keep those uh, surprises. But a couple other games I've been playing. Steven Universe Save the Light, which is uh, this RPG released for consoles. It's a sequel to like this fun little mobile game. And it's basically Paper Mario, but with the Steven Universe license. Nice. Uh, and and you're, you're very into the Steven Universe universe. I love the Steven Universe universe. universe. It's very good great show and the game really captures what's great about the show it has really funny dialogue all the characters feel like the characters from the show it really translates the world of steven universe to video game like really well it does a great job i would recommend it to anyone that is a fan of steven universe uh it's a better paper mario game than the past two paper mario games oh man are you are you still burned from Sticker Star? I'm so heartbroken over Sticker Star. Still, that that is probably like one of my top three video game heartbreaks. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good list for later. Ooh, yeah, man, Sticker Star was so rough. It's not even a bad video game. It's just a bad Paper Mario game. But yeah, Steven Universe feels like an old Paper Mario game, uh, which is really satisfying. It's pretty buggy still, and they're currently releasing patches for it. So once they get all those ironed out, I think it's legit a good game. But I would not recommend it to you because I would recommend some familiarity with Steven Universe. <laughs> I watched a couple episodes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I was on an airplane. Oh, it's a cute show, right? Yeah, it's, it is. It's yeah. got a great message. Yes. I love it. But yeah, you, I, I would recommend some investment in the franchise because... It does kind of assume that you know who these characters are sure. and what their deal is. I think any time a video game based off of a an existing property, yeah, it's probably yeah a good way to go about it. Yes, yeah, I am glad that like people are making good licensed games again. Yeah, uh, really, that's been a lot of this generation. Like, if they bother to make a licensed game, they're trying mm-hmm. to make it good, which is way different from like the PS3 yeah. generation. And I started Xenoblade Chronicles two last oh, night. Oh, nice! Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm six hours in, uh, which is really early for a Xenoblade game. Right. I'm still getting tutorials. I still haven't unlocked, you know, everything that the game wants me to experience. Like, I open up the menu and there's still, like, one, like, slot that has question marks on it. You know, there's still at least one big feature I haven't unlocked yet. But I'm digging it. I'm liking it. It's a big old juicy JRPG, super open world, a lot of stuff to do, just... Tons of complicated game mechanics on top of complicated game mechanics, but they all work so far, and it's not too overwhelming yet. So far, my gut reaction is I'm not digging it as much as I liked the original Xenoblade Chronicles, but I might end up talking... only six hours in. Yeah, I'm only six hours in. I'm liking the story, I'm liking some of the characters, I'm not fully hooked in yet, but I see a scenario where I could be, and I'm definitely looking forward to playing more of it after you leave (laughs) (laughs) a subtle (laughs) get out (laughs) 
Well, I can't get out yet because we haven't talked about Pyre. Yes. Uh, yeah. So as a recap, the, you know, the, the main purpose of this podcast <laughs> yes. is that Daniel and I will recommend games to each other. We will then play those games and then talk about our experience of playing them. So yeah. in our first episode, I recommended to Daniel Pyre, which is a game by Supergiant Games. It's a kind of a mishmash of visual novel, RPG, and sports game elements. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a beautiful aesthetic, and I recommended it to Daniel because I thought he would fall in love with a number of the characters. I thought he'd enjoy the gameplay, though it probably wouldn't be stellar for him, but it would be good enough to keep him invested in um, interacting with the characters in the game. I thought the characters would kind of be the main selling point. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, let's just start talking about your experience with Pyre. It was great. It was a good game, <laughs> good. and I liked it a lot. Okay, that's that is that. that is the, you know, that's... TLDR? Yeah, that's the TLDR. I was really into it, and you were right about a lot of things. Actually, the gameplay, I I was really into. Like like I said last episode, like even, even though I'm not really into sports in real life, if you mix sports into another genre in a video game... I will tend to be all about it, and I really liked Pyre's battle system, actually. Yeah, yeah nice. Yeah. Not not only did I like have fun with the main gameplay loop, the character progression, like, mechanically, mm-hmm. yeah. was awesome. I really liked the masteries and how they had, like, a lot of depth and variety, and making decisions on those was actually really hard sometimes. Yes. Like, uh, the big character, Jadariel, and you sort of have two skill trees that you can advance with her, but you sort of have to like more or less pick one or the other. Right. You can dabble in you can either dabble in both or master right. one or master yeah, the right. other. And like one skill tree like turned her into sort of like this offensive monster, right? Like uh what's like what's the person that that does the tackles? Like what is there there's there's a person in football that's anyone on defense. Right. Like the, isn't the a linebacker. Like, okay. Yeah. All right. Like yeah, she, like, there's one mastery that turns her into a linebacker, and there's another that, like, makes her purely defensive It turns her into a goalie, right? Linebackers do play on defense, so I think this metaphor is getting a little bit mixed. I hate sports. <laughs> <laughs> also, let me interject real quickly, because we didn't say this at the top, and we should. Okay. Spoilers. We're going to spoil the game, so if you haven't played Pyre, right. be prepared. We're going to talk about spoilers. Yeah, uh, there are timestamps for this episode, Great. so if... You are interested in Pyre, but don't want it spoiled for you. Short version, it's good. And if you like sports and you like RPGs and you like visual novels, totally worth a shot. I think even if you like any one of those things a little bit. Yeah. It does each one of those things, in my opinion, so well. Yes. That just for that thing, it's worth picking up. I agree. But to get back to what you were saying. Yeah. um, I agree. I think the mastery system was pretty much as deep as it could be for the length of the game yeah. while still being rewarding and interesting. Yes. Um, it's obviously not the deepest progression system. Yeah. It's not the sphere grid, uh, the sphere grid from Final, Final Fantasy, Fantasy 10, 10. Yeah. But it makes you make playstyle decisions. Yes. Which is really cool. Yeah. And I, and I also think one of the things I love about the game is how it makes you make decisions. And the more yeah. you level up a character the sooner you might lose that character. Yes. But you yeah. don't have to, but that character becomes eligible for yeah. releasing. Yeah, no, that is a great mechanic. And like, 
both like really like good and really frustrating. Yeah. Um but frustrating in a good way. Yeah. I think. Yeah, like I I agree like so basically like halfway through this uh like a third of the way in uh you get introduced to liberation rights. Right. And basically the liberation rights are are moments where you pick one of your characters to ascend to leave the the downside, the downwell, mm-hmm. downside. Uh, to leave the downside, to leave this place where you've all been imprisoned, basically, and go back to the Commonwealth, go back to civilization, and be free again. Um, if you win that battle, yeah, it, yeah, you pick one member of your party, and if you win that battle, they get to ascend. Um, and you can no longer use that character. You can no longer interact with that character. Yeah, they have left the party, and you can you can only like pick characters that are amongst the highest level in your party right. at the time. You can only pick. Uh, characters that have leveled up enough to qualify. So, uh, my first liberation, I I picked I picked Hedwin. Me too. Yeah, yeah. Because you know he uh, he seemed like he already had most of his stuff sorted out. It seemed like the most logical choice. So I sent him off, and then for the second playthrough, uh, the second well not playthrough, but the the second liberation right, I was like, okay, I think I'll send Rookie next because oh, Rookie. Interesting. Uh, I I should side note when I when I went to download this game right like I was I was thinking about what you had said about it and how you mentioned that like you know Daniel there's characters in this that you are going to love and I'm like okay I trust Max and then like I go to the Pyre download page on the PlayStation Network and like I see the splash <laughs> screen and the first thing I say. Is is that a dog with a mustache? <laughs> yeah, so Rookie Greentail in the game is a, is actually a dog with a mustache, and I don't know if you sent him free in your second liberation, right? If you got to the the conversation chain with him where he asks you about his mustache. Uh yes, okay. I did. He's like, oh, "What do you think of my mustache?" And I told him I loved it. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, "Okay, I think I'll send Rookie next. He really wants to go home." Jadariel is like a beast i gotta keep her on my team for longer and she seems really dedicated to the cause right i get to liberation right and rookie isn't high level enough oh. <laughs> <laughs> so i send jadariel oh, no. instead i lost my my oh, friggin' wow. goalie that's amazing yeah um your defensive all-star yeah no she was a monster i yeah. loved her like, early game especially before the combat gets harder yeah and you can just kind of walk Jujario across the screen yeah she gets so we're talking about this in such a jumbled way but that's because we're both really passionate about the game which is great uh but the main gameplay loop is this uh i i've compared it to blitzball um but not underwater kind of gameplay style where you have three people on each side you have a pyre which is kind of like your basket in basketball and you're trying to take an orb and extinguish your opponent's pyre with it yeah. And pyres have different levels of health. They start at 100, but you can get talismans that raise or lower that. Yeah. And uh, depending on certain factors about each character, each character extinguishes a different amount of hope. Yes. Uh, or not hope. Glory, uh, I think it is. Yeah. Is what it's called. For uh, the, yeah. Uh, for the pyre. Each character extinguishes a different amount when you score. Yes. And also depending on how you score, but that's a different level altogether. Yeah. Jodaro, because of her size and speed, she's very slow. Yeah. extinguishes a lot from the pyre so yes. when you score with her 
it's huge. Yeah, no, nah, she she does big meaty dunks and it's great. <laughs> big it's, meaty dunks. <laughs> it's really great. Um so yeah, she was like she was like my all star. I had her in every right that I right, did. Right. So she was one of the only people eligible to leave <laughs> during the second operation right. I'm like, oh I fucked myself. So I I sent her off and I liberated Rookie the third time actually. Gotcha. So were there any <laughs> were there any like uh, structured questions you wanted to ask me. No, this is, okay. I love the way we're having this conversation. Okay. Because I, I just like bouncing these things back off each other. And right. I, I think that's interesting, though, is to go through who did we liberate when? Yeah. And I, but before we do that, I wanted to say something you said earlier, which, which uh, triggered something for me, which was mm-hmm. uh, talking about the frustration of the liberation rights and losing people and the mastery. Yes. And one of the things that I think is super great about this game is that by the end, so you start doing the liberation rights more and more frequently as like they start to come to an end. Yeah. It's a whole part of the story. Yeah. And by the end, you have this team of like <laughs> five people, you know, at six yeah. at one point and then. Right. And it's like all your rechecks that you didn't use <laughs> yeah. or who are new to your team who got introduced later. And it's yeah. just the fact that they make you play the game differently. Yes. And that you can't just get into like, well, here's my all-star team. I'm just going to run shit. Yeah. Um and each each character does play very differently mm-hmm. within the rights. Yeah. And you have to learn all these different styles. Yeah. Some are overpowered and that's fine. Like yeah. whatever. But I, I love that. Yes. I love that by the end of the game I was like and then and then at the end of the game too, because the rights are happening more frequently, yeah. You, there's this thing where they get sick and they can't do them back to back. So then yeah. even that team of three that you like thought was really good, then you couldn't use them the next week. Yes. And you had to only use the three that you weren't using. Yeah. No, uh, I, anyway, I, I'm, I'm rambling, but it yeah. was great. No. Yeah. I, I loved it. I love that. They basically made you play every character in a playthrough. It was awesome. And, uh, I ended up doing a playthrough. <laughs> I ended up doing a playthrough where I won every match. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I, I, I was just in the mentality where, this is a video game and winning matches feels good. So I'm just going to try to win every match. And I actually managed to, I won every match. Did you have to restart any matches or do you always win on your first try? I always won on my first try. Wow. Yeah. Some, some of them were incredibly close. That game got yeah. hard sometimes. And in addition to that, when you're doing the Beyonder Crystal with can, can you restart missions? Can you restart yeah, matches? If you, if... Yes. You can restart at any time. And the game's like, Hey, losing's a part of the game. You don't have to restart. Right. Okay. And then if you press yes, you do. Okay. Yeah, I I never yeah, got to that, that part. Great. Yeah, because I I was undefeated. Well, we'll talk about this more. We are jumping on so many points, but yeah, did you use any Titan Stars? Almost never. Okay. Yeah. Titan Stars are a construct, uh, which I think is a really interesting way to manage difficulty in the game. Yeah. So the game does get harder as you progress. Uh, the players on the other teams become more competent. Yes. But it's never really super difficult. Yeah. So. Uh, they introduce Titan Stars, which are these optional mechanics that make the other team better or your player weaker. Yes. And you get um, additional experience for each Titan Star you unlock. Yeah. I think by the end of the game, there are 10 available, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, more like 14 or 14? 16. There's yeah. a lot. There's a lot of different Titan Stars. And yeah. Each one has a different, unique effect on the game. So you can make it harder as you go along if you want. Yes. And get rewarded for that. Um, tangent over. So you you played a complete victory playthrough, which I think is really fascinating, <laughs> because one of the things I also love about this game yeah. is that when you get to the liberation rights, so the liberation rights are kind of the culmination 
of a couple of rights you do as kind of test rights yes. where you can exp- you can gain experience and level up your characters and then yeah. every so often you have this big fight at the end that yeah. then you liberate one and move on. Yes. And I, one of the things I love about the liberation rights is and one of the things I love about the game in general is they introduced emotional story reasons for you to lose. Yes, and I did like that. The game makes you reconcile in a really unique way, what it means to win and to lose. I think I said that when I introduced the game in the last podcast. Yeah. But so for me, my second liberation right was against um, the old dog and his son. And you let them leave? I let them win. <laughs> because the the reason was so emotional. Yeah. Like this old dog <laughs> just loves his son. Yeah. And wanted his son to be free. Yeah. And so... When you nominate someone, that's the only person who can leave. He nominates yeah. himself, yeah. and then he pushes his son into the pool. So he stays, and his son goes. Oh, no. And then the post-text is that after that, he retires from the rights and then dies. And his son lives on <laughs> in the Commonwealth Holy cow. Forever. Wow. Um, and like I didn't regret that choice at all. That's amazing. So I'll tell you... What happens when they lose? <laughs> because I fucking dunked on them. <laughs> when they lose, the you know the dog to his human son goes like, "Oh, I'm I'm sorry, my boy." And the son's like, "Well, Dalbert is the yeah old dog's name. yeah Dal Dalbert." And his son was named it starts with an A. I don't remember yeah, what it was. Yeah, and his son's basically like, "It's it's fine because either you would leave or I would leave." And then we'd be apart. Well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> now I feel guilty. Right? Yeah. Like, they they made peace with that. And that was actually, like, I really liked that scene. That's great. Um, no, I loved that it gave you, like, reasons to lose. There's uh, one of my favorite arcs in the game, actually. Uh, Pamatha and Tamatha? Pamatha and Tamatha. It's great. Yeah. There's, uh, like, there's this bird girl... Pamatha, who's sort of this femme fatale character, you never really fully can guess which side she's on. I I would disagree with that. I was eighty percent sure she was on my side. Well, they confirm at the end that she's yeah. on your side. Oh yeah, they, oh they, you they, mean like without that knowledge? Yes, exactly. Oh, I see, I see, without I that knowledge, yeah. Like over over the course of the game, like it's always kind of a question whether she'll betray you at any point. And the leader of the opposing bird person team is Pamatha's sister, Tamatha, who Pamatha betrayed right. on the Commonwealth. Uh, her sister, Tamatha, was going to basically, like, raid the Commonwealth. Pamatha sold Tamatha out because she thought it was a bad idea. Tamatha got banished to the downside. And then Pamatha got banished to the downside for yelling at the Commonwealth for banishing Tamatha. Right. Because she just wanted Tamatha to, like, not die during this raid. So they're both in the downside together, but Tamatha hates Pamatha. And Pamatha's trying to make it up to Tamatha. It's, yeah, Pamatha's just filled with this guilt about it. You get to the liberation right, and it's your team with Pamatha on it, versus Tamatha's team. And partway through the right, like, Pamatha just, like, there's... The characters can sort of, like, mentally communicate with you sometimes. You can, like, read their thoughts during, like, key points in the game. And Pamatha just, like, mentally, like, cries out to you, like, please let us lose. I just want Tamatha to be able to go back to the Commonwealth. I know she said, like, outright that she's just going to murder people when she gets there. <laughs> but I owe this yeah. to her. Please yeah. let us lose. I didn't, I did not let us lose. I, I won anyway, and Tamatha was pissed. And, and Pamatha, I actually, I actually sent Pamatha 
to oh, the... You did. I, I liberated Pamitha in that fight, actually. So I was actually kind of surprised when Pamitha, like, didn't turn on me once she got to the Commonwealth. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't listen to her needs at all, but here we are. I, like, I thought for a second, like, well, what if I do lose? And I struggled with that for a bit, but I, I did defeat Tamitha because Tamitha is awful. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I kind of went through the same thing. Like, I had already let Dalbert win, so I wasn't really going to let another team win. Yeah. Because, like, you know, I also wanted my, the, you know, Volfred's plan to work. Right. Um, but I, that was another moment where I was like, I fucking love this game. Yes. I fucking love. Yes. That they have built real emotional decision making into this like kind of silly gameplay yeah um and yeah a fuck tamitha she's the worst <laughs> yeah she's but, the worst <laughs> but b like i yeah like i said i already let dalbert win so i probably wasn't gonna let that happen again yeah. so who and in what order did you liberate okay so first i eliminated there's seven liberation rights yeah first i lim- uh, liberated headwind and i i won every liberation right so i i right. liberated seven people They're i think only... i liberated five. Oh wow uh who's who is the other loss? I let Orlac go back. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll get we'll, we'll get, get there. That. Yeah, we'll get there. So first, I liber- uh, liberated Headwind, then I liberated Jadariel, then I liberated Rookie. Basically, my my main three, my first three boys, my first three dudes, <laughs> uh, and Lady went first. Basically, part of my decision process there was if I were to liberate someone, I would want to have unlocked their backstory yes, first. Yes. Right. Those, God, those backstories are so good. Yes. So those were, th- you know, three of my students backstory unlocks. And that was part of it. After that, I think this was a hard decision, but I think I liberated the stowaway after that. What did you name her? I, so there's a character who yeah. gets on your, uh, your flying wagon and yeah. you get to choose her name within a certain structure. It's not, you know, it's, choose anything. It's like, it's a letter, and then the letters A E. Right. So you could name her, uh, uh, Faye or uh, Ray. There, there or, were like almost a hundred names, I think. Uh, there were like a couple dozen. Uh, <laughs> one, I one of the things I loved about the name selection is like one mechanic I love in general is when you make choices and you you hover the mm-hmm. cursor over over the choice. It like says something about that choice like it it says a justification for it the gives choice. you alt text yeah it gives you alt text for the choice uh and there was alt text for all of uh the stowaways possible names oh, i didn't notice that yeah like uh most of them are just variations it's like you could see this being her name oh i or, saw those yeah or, yeah it's okay. like you you have a feeling this okay. is her name or this name resonates with you the last possible name you can choose for the stowaway is bay b-a-e <laughs> and you hover over it and it says this can't possibly be it <laughs> that's a great easter egg I didn't know right that. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. yeah i i loved it i named her Faye. okay i named her j with a z and an h oh nice I named her Faye because uh, she had a very Faye uh, vibe to me, as in F E Y. Right. She, you know, she sort Communes of felt like spirits. And... Yes. Uh, so I, I named her Faye. I was very happy with like that. You liberated choice. her. Uh, yeah, I liberated her. It was very hard because she's adorable. Yeah. Uh, I love that character. I love. I loved her arc where she like made friends with with the dog's son, with Dalbert's son. Um. Did you get to experience that arc? At I all? didn't. I I liberated her pretty early. But oh, nice! That is in the postscript that they like become a thing. They in the Commonwealth. Oh wow! Did you not get that postscript? No, because because Dalbert's son didn't go into the Commonwealth oh, yeah. in my game. So if you liberate her, 
yeah. and you liberate him, they meet up in the Commonwealth and become a couple. I, for which was like surprising to me because I didn't see any of that four story. I only saw the end of the story. So, uh, <laughs> for uh, for our listeners, I just like clasped my face with like both of my hands because that is so cute. In my playthrough, I got to see them interact, and basically, initially, Dalbert's son like hates all right. of all of the Nightwings. Nightwings. He hates all the Nightwings, so he also hates Faye. But Faye's really intent on like making friends with this guy. It's like, I think we could be friends. Don't you want to be friends? I've never had a friend, and I think you would be a very good one. And oh, I had no idea. Yeah, and and like initially, like. You know, in the first ride, he's like, no, go away, stop. <laughs> and then, like, you know, and then the next ride after it, it's like, why do you still, like, why are you trying to, like, be friends? And, you know, in the end, it's like, Delver's son goes, you're really weird. Fine. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, it was so cute. That's it was great. such a cute little arc. I liked it a lot. But, yeah, so I, I sent her off fourth, I think. And that was pretty sad. Uh partially because she was a monster on the field by the time I sent her off. Uh, you unlock an ability for her where she doesn't use stamina when she runs. Oh, yeah. that's Oh, man. She was a beast. That would be impossible for the CPU to deal with. Yeah, she destroyed, <laughs> and I had to send her home. After that, I think I sent Gilman. Sir Gilman. My favorite uh, character. What yeah, one of my absolute favorites. Fucking love Sir Gilman. Yeah. <laughs> Sir Sir Gilman is like this little like tadpole man with, with like a knight's helmet, uh, who basically just talks about like glory and uh you know, he what he really wants is to redeem himself like as a knight. And one thing man, one thing that got really hard about these decisions is part of why I sent uh Hedwin, Jadariel, and Brukia first is because they all wanted to go home. Right. Right? Once, like, you start sending a lot of people, there are people that don't even want to leave, you know? Like, Stowaway was one of my, you know, was kind of a tough choice for me because she just really liked hanging out with everyone in the wagon and communing with the spirits. She didn't need to leave. Right. She didn't care that much. Uh, Sir Gilman just wanted to be a good knight. He just wanted to have have glory and and be honorable and that didn't necessarily mean going to the commonwealth for him so i held on to him for a while but then i let him go uh but i i love gilman he he was such a good dude uh and uh and after that i sent pamatha she had her big showdown with tamatha and then i sent pamatha home um and she actually did not betray me and that was cool yeah um and that means I was down to Volfred, uh, the tree man who, like... Is your benefactor. Yeah, is, is the benefactor. He, like, put the whole group together. This whole thing was part of his plan, his big plan to overthrow the Commonwealth by sending all these people he's affiliated with there so that they can start a resistance. Um, uh, I was down to Volfred. I was down to Tiho? Tico? Tizo. Tizo. Um, the the little imp, uh, who is so also cute. so cute, yeah, adorable as hell. Um, I think a companion piece to listening to this podcast, if you haven't played the game, is like 
Look at the character designs while yeah, we're playing while we're talking about them because these are characters good. are amazing. Yeah, T- Tizo is T I apostrophe Z O and Big Bertrude. Yeah, Bertrude's great. Uh, Bertrude was oh man, Bertrude was another character I got surprisingly attached to. I agree because of her dynamic they, with. Hmm? I think Bertrude is uh, is they. Oh, oh really? Because okay. they always refer to themselves as we. Right. I think um, they use a plural. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um. Okay, I'll I'll say they just just to be safe. Then I I think I remember some some Shear pronouns, but maybe I'm just assuming them. So yeah, Bertrude, their their dynamic with Volfred was really great uh, because they had like this unrequited love for Volfred, right? Uh, that Volfred did not reciprocate, even though he was very fond of Bertrude and and liked them so much as a as a friend, as yeah. like a platonic companion. Um, and like seeing, seeing a a a slug person and uh and a tree like have such a complicated and deep relationship yeah. was incredibly cool. I agree. So I was down to those three, and out of those, Tizo has like, no reason to go. Yeah, no reason to go to Commonwealth. Imps are from the downside. Yeah, imp, the game. yeah, uh, yeah. Tizo's lived down there his whole life. He he doesn't care. Bertrude. Also, like, Bertrude's only mission is for Volfred's mission to succeed. Bertrude doesn't need to go to the Commonwealth at all, so I picked Volfred for my final Liberation tribute. And, of course, that made it really cool because his big showdown with, uh, Orlac, I think? Orlac. Orlac. His big showdown with Orlac at the end. Uh, and Orlac, man, Orlac's an awesome character. Agreed. I, like, he was just one of the coolest antagonists. Uh, such a, such a deep story, and man, he made me really sad. He was a really sad character. The quick backstory in Orlek is that he was from a previous iteration of the Nightwings, yes. uh, and he used to be on a team with Volfred, and he won his freedom and a liberation right, and yeah. a different Nightwing betrayed him and yeah. stole his return to the uh, Commonwealth. Yeah. So Orlek kind of comes through about halfway-ish through the story, yeah. starts fucking shit up, yes. and is trying to win his freedom back with his own team. Yes. Uh, and so think... your final, final, final showdown yeah. is you versus Orlek. Yeah, and he thinks that Volfred was like in on it and has betrayed him this whole time. Yeah, so it was a really cool showdown, and I picked Volfred as my, as my final liberation, and I followed through on that at the end. Uh, so at the very end, you're left with this mechanic where it's like, the rights are ending, they're never going to come back. This yeah. is done. Yes. And you have the choice of um, choosing the person you originally designated yeah. as your rights person. So yeah. for you as Volfred, for me as Jodariel. Right. And oh. then <laughs> it bounces from there. And then that person can nominate you. Yeah. And then you can also nominate Orlac if you want. Yes. Yeah. And you at the end, you have the final choice of you choose between the person you originally nominated yeah. yourself yeah. or Orlac. You, so you chose to let Volfred through. I chose to let Volfred through. It was hard. I thought about it for a bit. But, like, first of all, this game's great. I think I might play through it more than once. I might, too. So, I've already won every match. <laughs> I think this is going to be the playthrough where I go for the intended ending. And it felt like the intended ending was Volfred's rebellion. Volfred's... Plan. Yeah, Volfred's plan uh, succeeding. So, I thought, okay, I feel bad for Orlek. But Orlek, like, said, in the middle of this rite, <laughs> like, Volfred and, and Orlek, like, have a conversation in the middle of the rite where Orlek goes, 
you should let me win. I'm the one that deserves to go to the Commonwealth. Volfred says, well, I'm actually kind of open to that idea, but do you promise that you'll help me fulfill my plan if I let you go? And Orlok says, no, fuck you, Volfred. I will not, I will make no promises. Just let me up. And Volfred goes, no. <laughs> so I was kind of in the same camp, you yeah. know, like the shimmer pool goes red and Volfred's like, okay, you can send any one of us. And Orlok's like, well, if you two are going to pussyfoot about it, why don't you, right. yeah, why don't you send me? And I'm like, you know, Orlok, you just literally said that you wouldn't, like, help us. And if you did, if you even, like, implied that, like, I think there's a chance that you would help us anyway, but but you've audibly said that you wouldn't, so I'm going to send Volfred, and, you know, that was really sad for me. I like Orlok a lot as a yeah. character, and I'm really glad you sent Orlok up, because I want to know what happened. Well, I did, and on one level, I kind of feel, I did feel a little bit similarly, similarly to Tamitha, like, right. fuck Orlok. Like, I know he got screwed over, but this isn't the way you handle that. <laughs> yeah, scenario. no, like, yeah, that, that's the thing. Like, he was such a dick about it. <laughs> he was it. a dick. <laughs> but at the end, I was like, it was down to... It, throughout the course of the game, you play as... The character you play as is called the Reader. Yes. And over and over again, you're head over the head with the fact that the Reader is not allowed to leave, ever. Yes. So, as I was kind of playing that through in the mentality of the Reader, I had prepared myself to never leave. Yes, So I was never going to choose myself. Yeah, same. I was left with Jajariel or Orlac. And Jodariel had previously said that she was okay with staying. That uh, she didn't need to go back to the Commonwealth. She felt happy in the downside. Right. I didn't necessarily believe that. Yeah. Okay. And so I, I sent Orlac because, like, yeah, I felt bad for him. Mm-hmm. And I figured Wolfred's plan was going to work anyway. It did, though I surmise that probably it didn't work as well as your plan probably worked. Like, mm. did you have any bloodshed? Uh, no, yeah. actually. Okay. So oh, no. <laughs> ours was a violent revolution. Oh. Because of the plan, I think, because... When I when I finished, I was at eighty percent percentage. Okay, of like success likelihood. Right, you were probably at around a hundred. Uh, I was I was at like ninety something. Yeah. yeah, I think I was like eighty seven. So the revolution still happens. It's right. just a bloody revolution. Okay, but it still happens. Yeah, uh, my revolution was a peaceful revolution. Okay, uh, we d- uh, we took over the Commonwealth with no bloodshed and created. Oh, good movie. for you. Yeah, but that's the price I pay for letting a dog and a mean <laughs> demon back into the Commonwealth. <laughs> uh, but so yeah, that's the resolution. It still worked, and Orlac becomes like a doctor or was a doctor on the other side, so cool. he like, heals people and lives a quiet nice. life. Goes back to being a nice guy. Uh, um, so my liberation, right? Oh, were you going to... Yeah, I, uh, I'll, I'll say what happened to Orlac oh, and yeah, yeah, mine. Yeah. Oh, boy, so... I'm sure it's not great. <laughs> yeah. So, Orlac, basically, when he was betrayed, he was pushed off of a cliff, right? Oh. Yeah, like, he, right. he was, oh, uh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, he was, he was pushed off of a cliff. He presumably fell to his doom. Right. Right? When... <laughs> When he lost the liberation right, and I did not allow him to go back up to the Commonwealth, he jumps off that same cliff voluntarily. It was... That's dark. It was, yeah, it was dark as hell, and, like, all the writing was, like, so good. It was, it was like, you know, it was like he... And he, you know, he leapt to the precipice below. He had survived that fall before, but when he had survived, he was filled with rage and when he jumped this time, there was nothingness in him. Oh, it was so... Boy. I, like... You're a monster. You I, said it was a bloodless revolution. I, I felt like a monster. I'm like, oh, no. 
<laughs> you I were feel really a, justified. Yeah, yeah it's like you were a dick, but I feel so bad. Well, I'll say the other benefit is that uh, by keeping Jadariel in the downside, she actually starts a romantic entanglement with the leader of the Tempers, who's another demon. Cool. So not only did I save Orlac's life, you jerk, I also <laughs> gave Jadariel a love interest. <laughs> that's that's really cool. Um, since I sent Jadariel up kind of early, like, uh, the yeah, well, what cool thing that happened is like the leader of the tempers uh like i find him a couple more times and he's like hey where's uh where's jadario at oh she's gone huh well she was uh she was really cool <laughs> like yeah yeah that's funny and then in the end they get together if you play it out right so i'll go back to to the people i liberated but i also want to say another fucking thing i love about this game mm-hmm. is that in between the liberation rights the other rights that you play you choose out of a option of three which rival faction you're going to fight against yeah. So every time you play through this game, presumably you can uh, you can see different stories. Because yes, I only paid the tempers twice. The time it's mandatory that you play them. Yeah, uh, the first time, and right. then the second time towards the end of the game. So like, if I hadn't played them that second time towards the end of the game, I would not have had that love story with Jadariel. Yeah, because yeah. I would have played someone else, and they wouldn't have had that interaction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's so many. There are so many potential interactions in this game. It's a yeah. little mind boggling. Yeah, like we've we've talked about a lot of spoilers in this game, and if you're still here <laughs> listening to these spoilers, I just want to say that like if you get this game, you might have a completely different experience than either of us. Absolutely, and that's, yeah, and that's you another, almost assuredly yes, uh, and that's really awesome. Yeah, so tell me. Yeah. So I liberated, liberated five people because at the end I liberated Orlac and I let Dalbert win. Right. My first, and I would assume that the majority of players also choose Hedwin first. Yes. Because as you said, he's the most ready to go back. Yeah. He's got a wife on the other side, I believe, that he wants to see. Yeah. And he is your de facto leader before you meet Volfred. Yeah. But it just feels right to send him back. Yes. Uh, I think not a wife, but like a lover, definitely. Yeah, a lover. Yeah. Just, yeah. The game never actually calls out relationships as romantic, which is really interesting. I think that's kind of neat. True, yeah. Uh, but you, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's yeah, just I song. get that vibe, yeah. yeah. Uh, my second liberation was um, Jay, uh, the stowaway. Cool. I didn't use her as much in the rights. Yeah. Um, so I, thought, I wanted to see more of her backstory, but because I wasn't really using her yeah. in the gameplay, I was like, well, I'll just send her back now. It's fine. <laughs> right. My third must have been against Albert. So whoever I nominated actually didn't go through. Mm-hmm. I think after that, I sent back Rookie, which was hard mm-hmm. because A, I loved Rookie, and B, Rookie is also a like a monster. Yeah, he's like, so good. Yes, like he's so fast. Mm-hmm, yeah, super fast. Like you can give him like three jumps, and yeah. he's just like zipping across the field. Oh, yeah, so that very, was a hard one because I didn't want to lose Rookie. And very satisfying very to play Rookie. Yeah. And then I sent back Sir Gilman, which was hard because I love Sir Gilman. And uh, when you do this kind of optional side quest thing with each character that unlocks as the game goes along, you get a unique talisman to that character. Yes. And you can also upgrade talismans with items you can buy. Yeah. And I upgraded. So Sir Gilman's talisman lets him jump a percentage further. Yeah. I upgraded it to, I think, like 60% further so i could jump so far with Sir Gilman. <laughs> he was already a very mobile character yeah they're like he didn't he didn't extinguish pyres by a lot when he scored that was his kind of bouncing mechanic is right he's not a heavy hitter yeah but he was so good for me because i could jump through everything yes it was great yeah. um, so sending him back was also tricky yeah and then i sent back pamitha um and that was a really redeeming moment because she's mm-hmm. like oh 
fighting with you was worth it. I'm a good person. Yeah. I'm sorry, Tamitha. Whatever. Yes. And like, I, I kept holding on to her because I wanted her to have as many interactions with Tamitha as possible. Agreed. But the last interaction they had before I sent her off was things kind of seemed like they just ended. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like, uh, and not in a bad way. Yeah. Like it, it seemed like they were like that interaction uh, was basically done developing. Yeah. It's like a logical conclusion. Yeah. So I felt okay about sending her back. Yeah. And I did. Cool. And then the last person I nominated was Jodario, and I kept her around. I, I kind of actually stopped using her for the liberation rights by that point, but mm. I kept her, or the rights in general, but I kept her around because she saw herself as, like, the mother of the group. Yeah. And, like, wanted to take care of everyone, even though she had that gruff personality. Yeah. Yes. And so I had made in my head this promise to her that I will send you back, but you will be the last person I send back so that you can make sure that everyone is safe. Yes. So we get to the last one. I'm like, all right, finally time. I can send her back. And, and the then, game yeah. throws that fucking twist in me. <laughs> and so I didn't end up actually sending Aww. her back. But So um, so that means that your final team was Jadariel, Bertrude, Volfred, Tizo. Tizo. Is that it? Just those four? I think so. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. I think we kind of talked a little bit about this from who we liberated, but who are your favorite characters? Uh, Let's see. Top three. Yeah, let's do a top three. Yeah, okay, top three. Let's see, probably the Stowaway in third. I'm I'm going... Reverse. I'm, yeah. Yeah, Stowaway in third place. Gilman in second. Jadariel in Ooh, first. Nice. And man, actually, like, if, if we're going, like, whole cast, if we're going, like, whole dang cast, I might scooch uh, Stowaway uh, and put... Orlek, Orlek in third, because he's just a really excellent character that made me feel things. If we're talking full cast, also though, where does Falcon Ron fit for you? <laughs> <laughs> Falcon, I I like Falcon Ron. He's very funny. Uh, there, there was actually like a sequence in in the story for me at least where Falcon Ron like. <laughs> Falcon Ron like asks for a ride in the wagon, and he like yeah, gets yeah, yeah. and he and he scooches into the wagon with yeah. you, and it makes everyone worse at the following <laughs> yes, right because right. it's like it's like Falcon Ron got in the wagon with you. He smelled really bad and really weighed down the wagon, and everyone is just miserable. They their stats are lower for the next right. I remember that. I also let him ride with me. Yeah, I I think I started liking Falcon Ron a little less after that. <laughs> oh, <Falcon Ron. laughs> no, I uh, I he's funny. I lo- I like Falcon Ron, but probably not even in my top ten. And it's not a testament to me disliking Falcon Ron. It's a testament to how good the rest of the cast is. Agreed. I think my top three are. This is a huge surprise to me, but Bertrand made my top three. Wow, cool. Um, I I just really. First of all, I thought Bertrand was a lot of fun to play with in the rights. Yeah, yes. Um, their play style was really interesting. Yeah. And I just kind of liked the art for Bertrand. I really enjoyed it. Um, Rookie probably is in there. Oh, yeah. No, Rookie's oh, top hard. five for Three's me. hard. Yeah, right? Because I also love Tizo. Right. I love Jadariel. Yeah. But Sir Gilman's my number one. Okay. I'm all on board Team Gilman. Okay, okay so... So Bertrude, uh, don't worry about it. Bertrude, Rookie, Gilman, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I, it would change from moment to moment. My top three would change, but my top yeah. one is Sir Gilman. Yeah, sure. uh, Rookie and um, and Tizo are probably they probably rank in my top mention. five. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I love Tizo. Tizo's there, so cute. So there's so much to talk about yeah. with Pyre, and 
there's so many interactions you have in that game that yeah. I don't think we have time to really delve into. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's so much decision-making. Mm-hmm. There's so much world-building. Mm. There's a whole book that unlocks the lore for you very slowly, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, but I also want to touch on the art and yeah. the music and the voiceover work because I think those are immediately like identifiable as hallmarks of the game. Yes. So what were your takes on, on that? Um. Man, first of all, I love the art style. I love the way the characters were drawn. Yeah, just it really hit a good balance between like realistic and cartoony, I guess. Like the sort of like the the sort of like painted aesthetic yeah. was gorgeous. gorgeous. It was so good. And the and, detail in the characters. Yeah, like part and yes, and part of the reason that I love Jadaro so much is she just has one of the best character designs I've oh ever God, it's seen. It's incredible. Yeah, she looks. Oh man, I, I love. She, she was this big hulking character. The biggest, muscliest character in your team was was a woman, and like she wasn't. They didn't make her like gross looking. You know, she yeah. was still like they made her design so good. It was really cool. This is not related, it's a tangent, but um, one of the things I really appreciate about the game, and it's a very small thing, is when you're setting up your character, Yeah. the only thing you choose is whether you want to be referred to with male pronouns, female pronouns, or neither. Yeah. And the game doesn't make a big deal out of it. Yeah. It just, that's what it is. Yes. And I love that. I love yeah. that so much. Yes, yeah. It, it it lets you choose your pronouns at the beginning, and then it just adheres to those for the rest of the game. It's It's such a wonderful touch. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like I said, small thing, but just the quality of life thing. Absolutely worth great. mentioning. Uh, the character designs are stellar. Yeah. And um, I think one of the funny examples of it for me is Falcon Ron. Yeah. Because, so Falcon <laughs> Ron is the guy who sells you trinkets. Yeah. And he's this ridiculous kind of like haggly character that's like a not racist Watto. Um, <laughs> and Falcon Ron's design is a small creature on top of a large creature holding in his hand an even smaller creature. <laughs> it's, like, it's so great. Yeah. And he refers, he keeps talking to his dad a lot. Yeah. I'm never really sure if the guy he's riding is his dad or the guy he's holding is his dad. That's, That's a good point. Oh, man. Uh, but the music is some of my favorite video game music I think I've ever heard. Especially the song that plays over the credits. Mm. That the, la- the Lone Menstrual yeah. and Celeste sing together. That yes. recaps the characters that you've traveled with. Yeah, and the story. I got emotional. It, it in was that moment. yeah, no, it was good. The soundtrack is excellent. A lot of just really nice, like atmospheric themes, and some of the songs. Some that just like the Mitchell just randomly decide to like play during your journey that are really cool. My favorite song in the whole thing was probably the Liberation Right theme, yeah, which the beautiful. which yeah, which the two minstrels like sing together as you do your match. And, really set the mood in an excellent way. And then when they do it at the end with the credits, I, I, I teared up a little bit. It's it's great. And I love also that each opposing uh, team has their own theme. Yes. And they're all amazing. Standout for me, one that I can still vividly picture in my head, is the Angry Dog Yes, that's theme. what I was going to say. <laughs> it's so good and it's so different from the rest of the music in the game. It's like yeah. all heavy guitar. Yes. It's great. Yes. Oh. God, I love the music in that game. Very good. Like, it's it's cool because it it's so different from video game music. 
Right. Uh, it's it fits so well in this video game. But if you like played it for someone, I don't think their first guess would be, you know, what video game is this from? Right. It'd be like, oh, this is this is a cool album that you're playing for me. Absolutely. And there's not a lot of uh, songs with lyrics. Yeah. But when they're deployed, they are deployed in these important, momentous you know, plot relevant times. Yes. And it just adds to, oh God, I could honestly, <laughs> Daniel, I could talk about Pyre <laughs> forever. It, it's so good. And I recognize we probably need to start thinking about how we want to end this conversation. I'm a, I'm, I'm okay with, with letting this pan out because first you mentioned the voice acting. Oh yeah. I really like the voice acting. They basically, invented a language that the characters speak out loud that sounds authentic you know it it sounds they're speaking a language that no one can understand because it doesn't exist it still sounds organic you still like get the emotions of like what the characters are getting through and even though you can't understand what they're saying they still bother to get really good voice actors for each character I think specifically, like, for one of our favorite characters, the voice acting for Sir Gilman is so good. Yeah. And, like, he shouts out these triumphant <laughs> nonsense words yeah. that fit exactly what he's saying and yes. fit exactly his character. Yeah. Oh, it's just, like, every detail about this game is so well thought out, so beautifully produced. Yeah. It's just such a, such a complete whole. Yes, absolutely. Very well put together, and I feel like this is Super Giant Games' best game to date. Absolutely. This is definitely in my list of games of the year uh, for me personally. Oh, yeah. It's on a totally stupid scale. It's close to a 10. Wow. It's probably a 9 for me. I'd, I think it's yeah. nearly a perfect game for me. Yeah, I'd say it's an 8.5 or a 9 for me, too. Yeah. It's oh. it's very good, very surprisingly good. Uh, I'm so glad you liked it. I know... There are a few, you know, critical thoughts we've had about the game. Um, But before we get to ours, I wanted to share, we did receive an email um, over the weeks uh, from Ben Adams, and I wanted to share what he wrote into us. He said, uh, he actually, well, first of all, let me preface by saying he bought Pyre because of our conversation beforehand. Yeah, I think he says that in the email. He does say that in the email, and uh, I think that's phenomenal. Thank you, Ben, for supporting the show and supporting the game. Um, His quote is, Uh, The game's story is interesting, but I find myself wanting more gameplay in between the story arc. Did you guys feel the same way? I just thought that games like Last of Us do a better job of mixing story with the gameplay, since it's more of an open world, not exactly an open world, of course, as opposed to Pyre, which only gives you a few choices with each move on the map. Pyre feels like the story and gameplay isn't mixed as well as it could be. What do you guys think? Thank you, Ben. Yeah, thank you, Ben. Thank you so much for our first letter. That yeah. actually feels, like, really nice. It does. Uh, We're not just shouting into the void. <laughs> yeah. I think, for me, the answer to Ben's question is, one of exec- it's not one of execution, it's one of preference. Yes. These games are telling stories in very different ways, and I think it's a fair thing to talk about when talking about um, Pyre, because the visual novel elements are not going to be for everybody. Agreed. It is a slow disjointed way on some level to tell a story yeah it's it's the world is completely immersive and the story they tell is beautiful but you're not it's not parceled out to you in the same way that an open world game gives you the story yeah and i think that's not an issue of execution 
I don't think either one does it a bad way. Agreed. It's just a difference of preference. And I think for me, I actually like a visual novel style because um, I like being in control of that pacing to that extent. Like I like, I, I like having the different pacings personally. Yeah. Um, do I think that maybe they didn't necessarily nail a hundred percent the, the rhythm? Maybe. maybe. Like, I think there's an argument to be made that the gameplay loop is a little too repetitive. Yeah. Um, I don't know that you need all of the rights that you have. Right. But they structured it that way so that you unlock the story following the right. So, yeah. I mean, I, it's a complicated conversation, but. I actually really like the gameplay loop and I didn't mind how many times it repeated. Ben does bring up a point that is one of like the few slightly negative things I can say about this game, which is that especially near the end, I feel like sometimes the game tells more than it shows. Interesting. And uh, that's something that I think is attributed to sort of how deep, how like how much they committed to the visual novel part of the game. The fact that uh, once you beat the game, you get to find out what happened to everyone. I loved that. But also there is this weird thing. It's like, well, I didn't get to see what happened. I'm yeah. just like, I'm just clicking on everyone's character profile and reading what they did. Right. And I'm really glad I got that closure. But on it's it. a bit static. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit static. I'm really glad I got that closure on everyone. Uh, but the fact that like the ending too is just like a black screen with white letters. It's like, this is what happened. Right. It's like, cool. I kind of wish that I saw like, some pictures or something well, it's kind of like the 80s movie cliche where the with the protagonist jump in the air and it freeze frames and it's like they went on to college <laughs> and read and led rad lives yeah it, it is a little bit of that yeah like i i'm still really satisfied with the ending i'm really satisfied with right. how it ended and the epilogue me too but i think i think if it showed 10 percent more at least like gave me like some more like visual examples of what happened that would have been nice, but I'm still I'm still very satisfied. Well, I am really glad that you liked Pyre. Yes, um, I, I did. It's a it's a fantastic game. Yes. I'm reading my notes to make sure I didn't miss anything. Right, one more criticism. I wish there was an in-game log of the dialogue. Like Oh interesting. Yeah. Uh visual novels. Yeah. Especially contemporary ones. Every good visual novel has a button you can push to read things that were said in, like, the last hundred lines or so, right? Pyre, I was actually surprised to find that Pyre does not have that, right? Like, you read the dialogue and there's nothing, like, there were a couple points where, like, oh, wait, what did Wilfred just say? And there was no way for me to know. Yeah, that's actually something I hadn't thought about, but would be just yeah. a small quality of life change. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Like, I think... The game's not, like, bad for not having it, but I right. think that would, like, that would, like, elevate even more how good it is if I could just, like, read the conversations that I've had, like, yeah. at any point. I think that's a good point. Yeah. Um, other than that, uh, the in-game glossary is cool. That's the last thing that I hadn't already said. The fact that um, sometimes characters will say, like, key words in the dialogue and you hover the cursor over it and it tells you what the thing they're talking about is in case you forgot... That is an A-plus quality of life Agreed. addition. Yeah, I love uh, that, too. Really glad that's in there. And other than that, this is definitely one of one of the ten best games that I've played this year. I feel like it'd even be one of the five best games, yeah. and I'm very glad you recommended it to me. Good recommendation. Good first recommendation, hey, we Max. did it. Yeah! We did a recommendation. We high five. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of recommendations... 
Oh uh, man, not for me. Oh god, like now the pressure's on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you gave me such a good recommendation. Yeah, I, I could have just done like Superman sixty four. <laughs> <laughs> why? Yeah, why did you? Why did you lower the bar for me, How man? Do you play ET. <laughs> so. I am going to recommend to you uh, a game that I like a lot and a game that I think will definitely, like, hit a good amount of your buttons. And it's also a bit shorter of a game. Like, I'm, I am I don't want to start, like, right out the gate with something that's too much to, like, chew, right? But still really high quality. My recommendation is Undertale. Nice. Undertale is a game for PC and PS4 right now. I played it on PC. It was a game release in 2015 by Toby Fox, this guy who never made a video game before. Toby Fox is mostly known for working on Homestuck. He made like the soundtrack for Homestuck, and he made the soundtrack for Undertale, too. And he made a Halloween ROM hack of Earthbound. Like those are the two those are the two things that Toby Fox did before. What more this. do you need? Yeah. <laughs> and then he kickstarted Undertale, fairly successful. I think he made like fifty K. And then it made a lot more when he sold it on Steam. This game has a lot of inspiration from like Earthbound and other like weird RPGs. So, I think, actually, Pyre and Undertale have some interesting similarities, which is something that I thought about while I was playing through Pyre. And I think this will continue our discussion of how much choices can matter in a video game. In Undertale, the things that you do in the game really have an impact when you play. Uh, how much do you know about Undertale to start? So that's a good question. Um, I started watching a Let's Play of Undertale. Very quickly realized that if I was ever going to play the game, which I probably knew I would, yeah, I could not watch a Let's Play of it. Correct. So <laughs> I think I got to the point where like you're fighting a sunflower at the start, and then mm-hmm. there's a couple like tricks to it. And I was uh, like, oh, this is very spoilery. I'm not going to watch this. That's smart. I'm glad you did that. Yeah. Undertale, it's hard for me to talk about it and I'm pausing a lot because it's one of those games where the less you know about it, right. the better experience you will have. So, play it. The end. No, <laughs> no I, I, I guess I'll, I'll try to speak in some very broad terms, though. Uh, Undertale was a game I loved because it charmed me. It was a game I loved because it surprised me. And I, I think... It'll have similar effects on you. I I don't know if I would guarantee that you'll love this as much as I did, but I I think there is a lot for you to like. I'm excited to play it. I know all, all of our friends who've played it love it. Yes. Um, and I don't think I'll be any different because I know it references a lot of, you know, kind of tropes about video games and specifically RPGs. Yes. Um, and I'm I'm really looking forward to playing it. Yeah, I like I'll say that when. I started it, right? The buzz was just, like, starting for it. I played through. Uh, it is a bit of... It does have a bit of a slow start, I'd say. The first half hour, I'm like, this is cute, but it kind of feels like an Earthbound ripoff to me. Right. 
my opinion had definitely changed by the time I beat it. This is a game with multiple possible endings, and some of them are vastly different from each other. Uh, I think one playthrough for you will probably be about six to eight hours, so you can kind of yes. you can kind of blow through it. Yeah, really interested to hear your thoughts on a lot of things. So I'm excited <laughs> for the next episode. Well, we can't get to the next episode if we don't end this one. <laughs> so I'm excited to play Undertale. Right. We'll talk you, about that next. Yeah. Do you have like any questions about the game before like before we stop? I know enough about Undertale yeah. to know that you're right. <laughs> the less I know about it, the better. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah. And I also want to say uh, thank you to Sean Francis for our wonderful theme. And thank you to Kessie Relinke for our excellent logo, which we did not have when we recorded the first episode, so we didn't <laughs> thank her in this one. And once again, uh, we'd love to hear from you, so feel free to tweet us at uh, PlaylistPodcast or send us an email at PlaylistCast at gmail.com. Since the first episode, um, we've actually had a couple of exciting things happen for the podcast. You can find us on uh, SoundCloud, you can find us on the iTunes Store, and you can find us on Stitcher. So wherever you listen, please like, uh, rate, subscribe, do all those things um, so that we know that you're listening. Yeah. Also Google Play. Also Google Play. I love you, Google Play. <laughs> Didn't mean to leave you out. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. Bye. Bye. Game over.